0: an initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. faithandreason.com Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's good for us to be here and uh, certainly I'm grateful to, I guess you would say, inaugurate the next 24 hours in the new evangelization. Uh, In particular, I'm grateful because when I was rector for those six years at Sacred Heart Major Seminary, uh, my predecessors, Uh, beginning with uh, Archbishop Vigneron, rector of the seminary, as well as Father Stephen Bocoslowski, who now is in Washington, D.C., president of the Dominican House of Studies, got the ball rolling, so to speak, with regard to the licentiate in the new evangelization. And so I was able to, I guess you would say, uh, reap the good work that they sowed. And the new evangelization certainly took it, it, it flowered, it, it took well to the ground, and the first graduates uh, were made um, when I was the rector there. So I'm very grateful that uh, uh, certainly have had a, the opportunity to be involved, definitely um, personally with the new evangelization, in particular in southeast Michigan. And then finally, what a great day this is, i can like to say has been, but it's not over yet. But what a great day it is, and I'm very grateful certainly to our relatively new president, Father Sean Sheridan, and certainly looking forward to our collaboration. It was a good day, uh, and I'm very grateful for all that you have done, and I'm every, ever mindful, of course, too, when it comes to uh, the, the lateness of the hours. So I promise we'll be out of here by midnight. <laughs> You know, it's nice as I know I'll be able to keep that promise without a problem. <laughs> Even I have a curfew. <laughs> Praised be Jesus Christ. Welcome this evening to all here at Franciscan University. I, in particular, wish to again congratulate our newly inaugurated president of the university, Father Sean Sheridan. And as I mentioned, I very much look forward to our collaboration in the years to come. As I mentioned before also, I am at your disposal, both as your diocesan bishop, but also as your brother in Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for all those who will participate in these next hours with regard to the Symposium on the New Evangelization to pull us together. And I think that's important because so often we talk about communion, and we can do it until we're red in the face, ad nauseum. But let us not forget, communion is expressed in mission. Communion is expressed in mission. As Bishop of Steubenville, I, in fact, consider myself truly fortunate better yet, blessed to have Franciscan University within the demographics of my pastoral responsibilities as diocesan bishop, my spiritual footprint, so to speak. But the question remains, though, not whether or not we think with the heart of the church. No, rather, how does the bishop and the university collaborate in an effective manner? by which we may reach out to others beyond our borders of the rigors of formal academic studies and, yes, episcopal governance. This is not to say that these attributes are mutually exclusive to the new evangelization, but how best may they be employed to serve those who may find themselves on the fringes of the church community or even Apathetic toward their faith. In addition to sacred scripture, other sources to which I will reference are Pastoris Gregis, that's the post synodal apostolic exhortation of Blessed John Paul, on the bishop, servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the hope of the world. Also, Excorde Ecclesiae, from the heart of the church the Apostolic Constitution by Blessed John Paul on Catholic universities. Also, the final list of propositions from the 13th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops in Rome, October 7th through the 28th, 2012. And then, the new evangelization for the transmission of the Christian faith. And the document from the committee on Evangelization and Catechesis from the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops, Disciples Called to Witness the New Evangelization. Today I begin with an excerpt from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter one, verse eight. The very scripture quote which graces the title page of the recent pastoral instruction from the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis at the USCCB. Disciples called to witness the new evangelization. I quote, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. You see, our Lord Jesus is clear with his instruction. We are personally involved in the salvation of the human race. The new evangelization is a living encounter with Jesus Christ. Complacency is not in the Catholic vocabulary. Entitlement is not an option. Let us remember that the Holy Spirit is the source of the new evangelization. As the recent Bishop Synod acutely recognized All credit goes to God's grace at our baptism as we come to live in Christ. Still, enthusiasm and courage have pivotal roles in the success of the new evangelization. I ask who wants to be a member of a lackluster, depressed, and cowardly community? Thank you for not raising your hands. (laughs) This evening I wish to address our common ministry in the church, identifying the complementary yet distinct roles of the bishop and the Catholic University, and how our collaboration may best serve the universal call of the new evangelization. Let us first begin with my role as a diocesan bishop. The chief shepherd of this local church. As Father Sheridan referenced on September 10th, 2012 in the Finnegan Field House, at my ordination and installation here at Franciscan University, I informed you, and I quote myself: I am yours. As our Holy Father states time and time again, the bishop is not a simple desk jockey, but one who has the responsibility to be among his people. As Pope Francis so poignantly puts it, to be able to be able to recognize the odor of my people. That is what a pastor does. Moreover, Jesus is quite direct in the gospel according to John. Namely, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's chapter 10, verse 11b. Now I say that because I chose that for my holy card, for my presbyteral ordination. And I had a drawing, a little rendering, a lithograph, so to speak, of the good shepherd, a statue actually that's in the Vatican Museum and it predates Jesus' birth. But it's used so so much time and time again with a young shepherd, with the sh- sheep on his shoulders. I kept that quote and incorporated it into my holy card at my Episcopal ordination, recognizing the continuity that my service, my mission has not changed, the source is still in Jesus Christ. Finally, I purposely chose the new evangelization-rich quote from this 10th chapter, or actually the 10th chapter, verse 17, from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, for my episcopal motto. Faith comes from hearing. In other words, I am my brother's keeper when it comes to his faith. I am responsible. as instructed in the 2003 post-Synodal Apostolic Exhortation, Pastorus Gregis*, Blessed John Paul reminds the bishop of his threefold munerat: to teach, to sanctify, and to govern. The three are mutually in, inclusive. One cannot stand without the other two. It's a symbiotic relationship. As St. Augustine states, my office is an office of love, amoris officium. Consequently, it seems to me that all three of these functions have a distinct role in the new evangelization. I'm reminded time and time again of the Trinitarian foundation of my ministry, the bishop's chair, the symbol of paternal authority. At my Episcopal ordination, I put on Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, to be shepherd and spouse. The Holy Spirit himself at my anointing provides me with the ability to be, I quote, a living continuation of the mystery of Christ for the church. The collegial vocation I possess is not limited to me with my brother bishops, no, but it is with you as well. Another quote, this time I'll quote someone else, St. Augustine, from my thank-you address at the end of my ordination. For you, I am a bishop. With you, I am a Christian. I am grateful to refer to two bishops who provided me with the so-called pastoral template for the relationship between a diocesan bishop and the Catholic university within his own diocese. As mentioned, I had a privilege to serve and to collaborate with Cardinal Maida and Archbishop Vigneron when I was rector-president of Sacred Heart Major Seminary from 2006 to 2012. I appreciated their pastoral direction as well as their confidence and trust in me as I maintained the helm of a very seaworthy ship which negotiated the ever-growing secular-oriented society and and economy on the brink of the Great Recession. The relationship between the Archdiocese of Detroit and Sacred Heart Major Seminary, I'd like to use the term again, was symbiotic. Namely, health of one had a direct impact on the health status of the other. While the relationship between a diocesan seminary and the diocesan bishop is not exactly the same as an autonomous Catholic university and the bishop of the diocese in which the university resides, I do believe similarities do exist. Otherwise, the presentation is over. (laughs) A virtue, a particular virtue that we don't always consider a virtue, I'd like to identify right now, one which tends not to be categorized as a good word at all by many in our culture, or even with our own church, indeed, by the ordained, consecrated, and lay people alike. Obedience. This word, obedience, culturally charged as it is, enjoys a principal role in the new evangelization, bishop and university both. For me, I'm again reminded by that apostolic exhortation that the very features of Jesus I am to put on to be a model and promoter of spiritual communion, carefully and vigilantly working to build up the church so that all I say and do will reflect a common filial submission in Christ and in the spirit of the loving plan of the Father. As a teacher of holiness and minister of sanctification of my people, I am called to carry out faithfully the will of the Father. My obedience must be a lived example of the obedience of Jesus Christ himself, who said that he came down from heaven not to do his own will, but rather the one who sent him. Gospel according to John, chapter 6, verse 38. Also, we can take a look at chapter 8, verse 29, and Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. Obedience shares an inseparable link with community. As Pastorus Gregius further instructs, the communal dimension of my office compels me to live out my obedience by overcoming all temptations to individualism and by taking upon myself within the wider context of the mission of the College of Bishops, yes, I'm still in school, concern for the good of the whole church. My obedience is not meant to be insufferable, but joyful and without end. Finally, in the same apostolic exhortation, Blessed John Paul touches upon the theme of evangelization in his third chapter. Go into the world and preach the gospel. Mark 16, verse verse 15. Are Jesus' very words as he empowers the disciples to evangelize, to inform humanity that the kingdom of God is at hand. As your chief shepherd, I have the distinct role to proclaim the gospel, which is incumbent upon the whole church and each of her children. By virtue of my Episcopal ordination, within this apostolic succession, which finds its source and summit in Jesus, one of my principal responsibilities is to proclaim the Gospel. With the courage imparted by the Spirit, I am to call people to faith and strengthen them in living faith. For example, in, early in my Episcopal ministry, I inaugurated... Couldn't avoid the term considering the day. <laughs> I inaugurated the public ministry of Ask the Bishop. I did not begin ATB because I needed one more thing to do. No, from my time as a parish priest, both as a parochial vicar and as pastor, I d- identified the need to invite questions from our younger brothers and sisters. If they asked questions about their faith, then their faith mattered to them. The Catholic faith is on their daily radar with many other thoughts and concerns. But for them, when they send questions, their faith is relevant. Moreover, over these past few months of ATB, I have been reminded that the Holy Spirit's purpose eternally exceeds my humble intentions. Namely, time and time again, whether I'm at the grocery store, Kroger, or Reesbeck's, or the hardware store, yes, the bishop does go to the hardware store, (laughs) adults have approached me and shared their gratitude for Ask the Bishop. They have even gone so far as to disagree with me. (laughs) Yes, there are people out there who disagree with the bishop that the audience is limited to kindergarten through 12th grade who may submit questions. They want their own ATB. (laughs) In other words, this initiative has unintended consequences. This initiative has not been limited to our children, but has reached out to all of God's children. I'd like to take credit, but I can't. Credit has to go where credit is deserved. In summary, my role as bishop is not limited to the human gifts Jeffrey Mark Monforton possesses. In order for me to exercise my office of love, I must remain close to the source of my episcopal calling, God the Father, God the Son, and yes, God the Holy Spirit. In my unqualified obedience, I am free to serve God and his people with the threefold functions I received at ordination. By centering on Jesus Christ and not myself, I allow the Holy Spirit to work through me as I show my brothers and sisters how to follow the will of our Heavenly Father. The Catholic University. First of all, as I begin the section on the Catholic University, I again want you to know of my profound love and unwavering support for Franciscan University. You constantly keep the heart of the church close and dear to you, and that does not go unnoticed by your bishop. Second, I begin with Catholic University and the New Evangelization with yet another quote from Blessed John Paul. Rightfully so, since he was the one who ushered in the third millennium of Christianity, turning a page in the Universal Church's history with the call for the New Evangelization. He writes, From the beginning of the church, this mission of evangelization has been an integral part of the church's identity. The Apostle Paul was well aware of this when he wrote, If I reach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not reach the gospel." we should allow the following quote to burn with our academic, our missionary identity. From Ex Cordia Ecclesiae. Born from the heart of the church, a Catholic university is located in that course of tradition, which may be traced back to the very origin of the university as an institution. It has always been recognized as an incomparable center of creativity and dissemination of knowledge for the good of humanity. By vocation, the Universitas Magistorum et Scholarium is dedicated to research, to teaching, and to the education of students who freely associate with their teachers in a common love of knowledge. With every other university, it shares that Gaudium de Veritate so precious to St. Augustine, which is that joy of searching for, discovering, and communicating truth in the very field of knowledge. A Catholic university's privileged task is to unite existentially, by intellectual effort, two orders of reality that too frequently tend to be placed in opposition, as if they were antithetical. The search for truth and the certainty of already knowing the fountain of truth. Yes, Blessed John Paul is getting a lot of airplay today. Now, I'm not taking the coward's way out when I say much of what I just said about my role applies to you as well. Remember, the charisma is contagious. Our eyes must always be on Jesus Christ, morning, noon, and night. The words ring well, though, in the Constitution on Catholic Universities, as the university is described as born from the heart of the church. In other words, growth and production are expected, and the Catholic University is aware of source and summit in Jesus Christ. Blessed John Paul in his introduction provides clear direction for the Catholic University when he states, It is the honor and responsibility of a Catholic University to consecrate itself without reserve to the cause of truth. It does this without fear but rather enthusiasm, dedicating itself to every path of knowledge aware of being preceded by him who is the way, the truth, and the life. We are fully aware that the Catholic University is the very stage where faith and reason dialogue. Here is where the world witnesses the harmony between faith and reason, thus pointing at the unity of all truth. It seems to me that the challenge of the Catholic University as well as for the bishop is that we must find a way for others to come to the understanding that this very dialogue is relevant. I say that again, is relevant. How do we make the new evangelization relevant? The new evangelization is not preaching to the choir, but it is teaching the choir to go out and sing, to sing well enough to catch another's attention that they too wish to sing along. How do we go about doing it? Well, we have already begun by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, accepted the role as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, and we have a diocesan bishop who is not afraid to make mistakes if it takes us to the right answer. For the Catholic University to be truly effective in the promotion of the new evangelization, it must enjoy the complete support of the diocesan bishop. I promise to uphold my end of the bargain. And I am quite aware that you are upholding yours. complimentary and collaborative roles. As chief catechist of our beloved diocese of Steubenville, it seems to me that this evening I am perhaps preaching to the choir, and so it is. But this is a ringing reminder that our role in the new evangelization is not to convert the converted, but to instead formulate a protocol, if I may, being in the season, a game plan to stoke the flames of faith in our fellow brothers and sisters whose faith has gone asleep or is dormant. Metanoia is not some inconsequential Greek word of long ago. No, the road to conversion is essential to any spiritual GPS. Keeping with the theme of global positioning satellite, Our purpose here today, no I did not intend to finally state my purpose after two-thirds of my talk, (laughs) is not to prepare a road map to be faithfully followed with deviation. The road before us may have some surprises in store, both good and yes, bad. But as our Lord says, put out into the deep. We need direction. And it is imperative that we do this together. It seems to me that together we should take a closer look to both the final list of propositions from the Synod of Bishops and the disciples called to witness from the USCCB for points of reference in our common pilgrimage to engage in the new evangelization. I highly recommend for you to read both. They are templates of sort, how we can plug in our responsibilities, our mission, realizing we already are doing some of that. Remember, the new evangelization is a common pilgrimage. It is a living encounter with Jesus Christ. Waving the Bible or the catechism of the Catholic Church at someone is not going to force them into spiritual metanoia the new evangelization must begin within us. If you and I do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if we do not obey our Lord and God, unconvincing witnesses and unproductive stewards we will be. On the other hand, we must remain acutely aware that we are witnesses in what now is an increasingly secularized world. Many of our brothers and sisters, though baptized and even confirmed, have lost touch with Jesus Christ. But this is no time to despair. For, as our present age that manifests challenges more difficult than in the past, even if we are like the little flock, we bear witness to the gospel message of salvation and we are called to be the salt and the light of the world. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. For you church historians out there, remember, this is not the first time evangelization has been done. The charisma, the very announcement of our salvation in Jesus Christ, is Timeless. Our role is to promote our faith in the third millennium language and delivery. We have the resources from sacred scripture to the documents of the Second Vatican Council to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. As fellow disciples of Jesus Christ, it seems to me that the bullet points provided under the leadership section of the disciples called to witness of part five from the USCCB, key components of outreach programs should not be limited to my Chancery office, but have an active participation by our university. How that happens will require meetings, yeah, sorry about that one, and a well thought out game plan which does not take on the nature of another church program. Much of the following may already be in process and there may already be a template here. For instance, how may I provide public testimony and witness to the importance of my ministry as bishop? Yes, enthusiasm is one of my qualities, but if it is not channeled correctly, it'll be ineffective. How may we, provide personal invitations for Sunday mass attendance to our inactive Catholic brothers and sisters? How may we demonstrate a warm and welcoming hospitality to former parishioners? I pay particular attention to that because back in Detroit, there were what we call the parish hoppers that there was a time when people would remain within a certain geographic or demographic area and would go to that particular parish. That day is over. People are now basically church shopping. And it's not necessarily looking for the great music ministry or who has the greatest homily, but where is the greatest or the best or the warmest hospitality where people feel at home and that they recognize this sacred environment actually is, for them, a sanctuary. I saw that as parish pastor over at St. Therese in Shelby Township. That that hospitality, while that is not the ends, or even the source and summit of who we are, brought people in. It was an instrument of the new evangelization. And as soon as they came in that church and they sat down, we got them. And I'm grateful. For just those 14 months, we grew by nearly 500 families. And it wasn't because of the blazing and eloquent homilies of the pastor. The people were there. Homilies may have been not bad, but nevertheless. (laughs) 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 The hospitality brought them in. And of course, our belief, our love in the Lord, and the celebration of the Mass and so many devotions kept them. How do we invite Catholics back through media and personal contact? I've got a bad habit right now, especially as bishop, and that is I don't really know how to say the word no. no. I just did, but of course I'm not being asked a question. So it seems like when people are asking me to do something, I say yes, I say yes, I say yes, and I get come back to the chancellor and they're like, how, how many of you are there? So, but it's good, it's important to be on the radio, to make my way out to the various parishes, to be there, to utilize that media for a positive and holy experience. And then, of course, the personal contact. I mentioned in my article in the register that I had opportunity to visit all 58 parishes, and I did them all within 11 months, 36,000 miles in that car. Every mile is worth it. I had a chance to see the people in the parishes, they saw me instead of just, only time ever seeing is a picture on um, a fundraising letter. They had a chance to see me face to face, to have coffee and donuts on Sunday. Actually the donuts was the real reason I was in the parish, but (laughs) (laughs) the people wanted to see their bishop. And then the pastors themselves, I was with them on their home turf. Yes, all the parishes are mine, But I depend on the men in the trenches and the foxholes, so to speak. And I love my brother priests. And for them to see me, other than coming by my office at the chancery, in my man cave, if I affectionately call it, (laughs) I have opportunity to be with them where their environment is. We have three parishes in the diocese in which they are the only parish in the county. They close. Are the people going to go to another Catholic church? Are they even going to go to church? Or will they go somewhere else? And those parishes may not be financially solvent. But I say, so what? That's my responsibility to make sure they have that support. The people of God deserve no less. How do we support the parishes, especially the ones with limited resources and personnel? There are parishes out there in which there is one employee or even the pastor who does not have a secretary. He's the secretary. How do we help him to evangelize and not to just to tread water and to survive? How do we support our pastors? How do we gauge the demographics of our diocese and establish a five-year, my addition, strategic plan I say that because as I walked into the Great Recession with the seminary in Detroit, the seminary in Detroit is what we call a ghetto area of Detroit, very dangerous area. And at the Great Recession, we were informed, I was informed that the subsidy coming from the archdiocese was going to be cut in half, and that's significant, it's over $2 million. Our budget was over $7 million. I had to find the money. And we had to get very creative. A a strategic plan, that five-year strategic plan saved us in a way because we planned for eventualities and challenges. We knew that recessions are going to occur. They're gonna come again and again and again. It's part of our economy. But how do we negotiate those very dangerous waters? And I'm grateful to that plan because it allowed us to look ahead. Admittedly, four or five years ahead, it's a bit more fluid, more concrete one, two or three years from now. And then finally, how to train clergy and members of the consecrated life, I didn't forget you, in the formation of lay leaders and as evangelizers. How do we train ourselves to be effective? These are significant questions and some of that we're already doing here, especially when it comes to catechetical programs and classes. My talk today here was not to solve all the problems, but to identify that there are solutions and ways that we can work together. There's a collaborative effort. In conclusion, both the diocesan bishop and the Catholic university possess distinct yet complementary roles. For one, neither live in a vacuum. For the people of God depend on the dialogue between faith and reason for clarity. As one defending the deposit of faith, I am obligated to assist the Catholic University, possibly enabling it to promote even further the truth through critical thought and steadfast fidelity to God and His Church. Perhaps the words from an author whose works I grew up with, which summarizes the work before us, no, it's not Chesterton, (laughs) as fellow collaborators in the Lord's Vineyard. C.S. Lewis, he pens, The task of a modern educator is not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. You and I must remember that the Lord's Vineyard may not just need tending, but it may be a desert in need of growth. Some of you may wonder why I have not once quoted Blessed John Paul in his 2001 apostolic letter at the beginning of the new millennium. Truth be told, my presentation this evening makes reference to material, which of course is direct reference and fruit of his apostolic letter. In Pauline terminology, you and I, are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. You and I matter in the sharing of the good news, but we cannot embrace our roles by being stationary. We must be in motion. Blessed John Paul, quoting directly from Jesus, has provided us with that spiritual GPS. Duke and Altum. Yes, we must put out into the deep if we are to be effective. Luke 5, verse 4. In blessed John Paul's words, these words of Jesus ring out for us today, and they invite us to remember the past with gratitude, to live the present with enthusiasm, and to look forward to the future with confidence For as we all know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever, amen. An initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville, faithandreason.com, be transformed by the renewal of your mind.